0: the teaching. Lord, I love you, and it means so much to see everybody here. Um, Lord, I'm grateful those watching online. Would you please speak specifically to each heart that's here, and especially mine, and that you help us all to be tender and uh, obedient to you. Thank you that you create within us a clean heart, oh God. You renew a right spirit within us, God, would you please bless. Thank you that your word is alive. And we're excited about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're working through a series on Christ esteem. And the whole idea behind that is, if you really want to get what New Testament discipleship is about, what does it mean to follow Jesus, you've got to get how did Jesus see himself. If you could see it through the eyes of Christ, feel it through the heart of Jesus, what would it be like? All right? That's what this whole thing's about. We're not trying to be a disciple of of family life or a disciple of focus on the family or a disciple of Francis Chan or whoever the the latest and greatest are at at, this season in our nation. We're trying to be a disciple of Jesus, period. (laughs) That's it. And to do that, we've got to understand him right it's very very important so um, I want to dig into his story and I want to really kind of pull from what Stephen covered uh, last Sunday to right now so that we can appreciate what's going on this is the story of Jesus how it begins there's a reference in Luke 2 where uh, Joseph and Mary can't find Jesus you're well aware of that they travel back they finally find him in the temple answering questions, asking questions with the rabbis. And they say in verse 48, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And Jesus said to them, not just to mom, who was vocal, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Did you know that? Don't, don't you get me yet? And Stephen developed a little bit uh, based on the Greek text. This is important that you understand this. This is the actual translator, the, the Greek version. And it, it's, what do you mean? Don't you know? Don't you know that, that this, the father of me? That's all it says. It doesn't say, don't you know I'm supposed to be about his house? I'm supposed to be about his business. It doesn't say that. It simply says, Don't you know that I'm supposed to be about my dad? The father of me? That's it. That's all this, Michael. Yeah?
1: So, actually, one question that I had last week, and yeah. I didn't quite uh, wrap my head around it because I was trying to remember Greek from 10, 15 years ago. Uh, okay. But the preposition in, uh, can sometimes be translated as with. So to me, it would make more sense if it was with. Like, do you not
0: know I need, or did you not know with the father of me? Well, you know, well yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I am should be, with. be with Dad,
1: especially since he said like house and business, and those things weren't
0: actually included. They're not in the text, the original so, text. I just yeah. didn't know if you had comment on with or in, if there's a difference. Um, I think actually we can reveal that in the interpretation in just a second, but. What I want you to get at is there's just a little bit of mystery here, all right? And we struggle with mystery when we don't always have clear answers. By the way, in Greek, there's something called the emphatic position. The first thing you say or the last thing you say has weight, all right? The first thing and the last thing has weight. So when he says, what, 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 don't you know that I was going to be about the father of me? Me's the last word. So Jesus is saying, this is who I am. This is the most important thing in my life. And I'm going to word it in such a way that you get that. I have to be about the father of me. Okay. All right. Let's keep digging in. So Michael, to get to your question, there's four possible interpretations of that. Number one, typical anxious, uh, ancient Jewish property right language. Firstborn son gets two thirds of the estate. All that kind of stuff. And Jesus is saying, Mom, Dad, don't you know I needed to be about the managing of the property rights of my dad? Didn't you know that? Okay. Or it means, don't you understand that I'm having to be a part of the number one person in my life? And that number one person in my life is Jesus. I mean, it's God the Father, rather. And he takes place a precedent over everything, including you. Is that what it is? Three, he's really saying... I had to be in the temple because God's going to do a new thing. And in three days, the temple will be destroyed. Every stone will be turned over, not one left on the other. And in three days, it's going to be resurrected. It's going to be rebuilt in three days. He's saying, I am the new temple on two legs. And that is... The business of my father. Or it's just a prefiguring of why Jesus is here. Now, all four interpretations are legit and make sense. That's, they're all good. I think most likely two and three are really what, what the story is getting at. Okay? All right, let's keep going. Examples of the Jesus story, I want to dig in here real quick. Matthew 18 is fascinating because it's, it gives these three snippets about the the work of Christ he says regarding kids don't you block them from me bring the kids to me because the son of man is here to save that which is lost so children are a huge priority to Jesus and if this is the business of the father whether it's property rights relationship why he's here he's the new temple Instead of, instead of saying, oh, look, the temple's right there. I've got to go to the temple. I've got to be in the temple precinct to experience God. Jesus says, you want the temple? Come to me. I'm the temple. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And little kids worn out in that culture and worn out moms trying to care for the kids. And then this illogical thing. What farmer, what sheep herder has 100 sheep, one strays, and you leave the ninety nine? Is that a logical business move to do that? You know what shrinkage rate in retail, what's shrinkage rate in retail? <laughs> you, you grin getting, what is it? You know there's gonna be some theft. You just plan on it, and in your, in your inventory accounting, you know there will be theft. It's called a shrinkage rate, and you just factor it 5%, 10%, whatever it is. What's the loss of one sheet? Is that a big deal? You can 99 others. It's a good herd. Cut your loss and run. But God does the it, Jesus does the illogical thing, leaves the ninety nine to go after the one. Wow! If that's the stuff of the Father, if that's the stuff of His house, His business, really more accurately, the heart of God, how important are people? Extremely important. Even the illogical one that is lost compared to the ninety nine, and then the third example is an offended brother. And uh, can I I just make a quick comment here? Sometimes we Christians, you know, do a good job at talking about God loves you and all these things and we're here for you and all that stuff. A lot of soft, positive church language. But as soon as we get offended, as soon as we get upset at each other, cold war begins. Whether that's marriage, parent-child, peers, you know, church members, God's heart is that we get along, okay? Now, perhaps maybe you didn't hear what I just said. <laughs> God's heart is that we get along, all right? fact, when you get to John's gospel, John chapter 15, 16, 17, big chunk of scripture, Jesus says over and over again that they will be one like we are one. And as you are in me, so I in them. And they may have unity, just like you and I have unity. And when the church has unity, what's the main purpose, according to John? When the church has unity, it has what? Y'all ain't having your quiet time, I can tell. I can tell. Sorry, Jonathan. Need to dust off the Bible here. When the church is unified, it's good at what? Evangelism. The gospel becomes believable. It's right in John's gospel, right? But when there's bickering and backstabbing and, and cattiness and all that junk going on in the church, the gospel is not believable because we are hypocrites. And we can talk about the love of God all day long, but if we can't restore relationships, oh my goodness, what have we got? What have we got? All right, let's dig in. So who's responsible for the story, right? Right? Who's responsible? You'll appreciate this. First of all, apostles were initially missionaries. You know, that makes sense. Evangelists, missionaries, those kind of folk. You know, in fact, Acts 1, 8 says this thing's going to explode. It's going to start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, all nations. You can see how it's getting bigger? It's getting bigger, bigger, bigger. When you get to the Great Commission, this story is going to be told to the four corners of the earth. Go to all nations, all right? Well, what about pastors? Am I responsible with the story of Jesus? Yes. What's unique in 1 Timothy is that if I'm gonna be a part of the story of Jesus, you know where it starts? My house. Paul puts that burden on a pastor. How are you gonna run the house of God if you can't run your own house? So preacher man, set your house in order so that you can care for the house of God, right? Makes sense, all right, what about this? What about these folk, all Christians? (laughs) What are you gonna do with the story? Well, Jesus said, number one, love God. Love God as yourself. Hold on, it's a little tippy, I know there. Um, Love God, love self. If you're single, love your neighbor. What about children, church persecuted or lost, okay? So it looks something like this. Who's responsible for the story of Jesus? We all are, all of us. Am I calling you all to be evangelists? No, no. Saint Francis of Assisi, his famous, famous quote, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if you must, use words. Yeah. If you must, in other words, the gospel is made believable, not so much by our prattling on, but how we live our lives. And if we live our lives as though God is number one and we love our spouses and our neighbors and our kids and it goes right on down the line, we're living out the story. And then when you talk about that with somebody over a cup of coffee, wow, that's exciting. So let's look at it, okay? The Jesus story became their story. Look at this in the Bible. This is really cool. Um, Zacchaeus. By the way, um, a little bit about Zachai in Hebrew. You know what it means, anybody, Zacchae? What it means? It means to be pure. How's that for a name? Here comes a little guy who's short, and he's up in a tree. Hey, purity. You know, purity's up in a tree. How crazy is that? By the way, there's tons of jokes uh, about short people, and I will not tell them to you. Love you, Carrie. Yeah, we're good. We're good, all right? Um, You know the whole sycamore tree thing? It's really not a part of the story. And I know preachers, you know, who have crazy imaginations say, you've got to climb the tree of life, and you've... Got to learn to get to the vantage point. No, hush, little man, no. The poor guy is trying to see Jesus. That's it. Don't make a big deal about it. You know what the big deal is about the story? He's the chief tax collector. That is the opposite of a pure Jew. The pure guy is so impure, he's hated. Not only is he Jewish, working for the Romans to extort money out of his fellow countrymen, automatically he's impure, unclean. Not only that, he manages those who do that. He is hated. He's the big guy that won the contract from Rome on how much money he can extort out of the area. He is hated, all right? And look what, look what Zach does. Lack says, this is verse eight, Jesus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, please get this, this is so cool. Half of my possessions I'm giving to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, yeah, right. Yes, you have. I'm giving back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today's salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. This is Jesus playing out his story that God gave him. This is, this is the stuff of his father. All right, now, you ready for this? This is where we've got to kick in imagination. It's time for the party. It's time for the meal. And Zacchaeus, Zachai in Hebrew, calls in all the people who he extorted from. Can you imagine the crowd in his doorstep? If so-and-so says, hey, at 123 Cherry Lane, they're giving out free money. First come, first serve, 100 bucks a person that walks walks up and knocks on the door. Do you think there'd be a crowd at that house? Okay. Zacchaeus has announced free money, payback. Who do you think is coming to that house? Can you imagine the crowd trying to get in on that dinner party? And Zacchaeus, the pure one, has to make good on his promise. And he does. He's living out the story of grace. And he's paying back for all the sins he committed by extorting money from fellow Jews. He's living out that story. What about the man born blind? Real quick, he's born blind. The Jews, the disciples go, hmm, who sinned to deserve that one, Lord? The little kid coming out of his mother's womb, sinful little baby, shame. Or is it mom and dad who's so sinful? Jesus, neither. You're missing it. It's for the glory of God that he was born blind. By the way, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So the man is healed, and the Pharisees are coming up saying, hey, what happened? We know you're the blind guy who begs. Who healed you? And he goes, I don't know. They examine him again and again. It's interrogation. Verse 24. So for the second time, they summoned the man who was born blind. And they said, give glory to God, which is Jewish code for. It. Come on, tell the truth. That's what that means. We know that this man is a sinner, Jesus. And he said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He's telling the story of what Jesus did for him. And then the last line, well, here's an amazing thing that you don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. The story of Jesus is becoming their story. It's beautiful. The big story about the demon-possessed man, it's crazy. He's cutting himself. He's got all the signs of mental illness, all the signs of spiritual illness. This guy's a wreck. He's healed. Verse 15, when they came to Jesus... They saw the man who had been demon possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had previously had the legion, an army of demons in him, and they became frightened. Wow. How the Jesus story is playing out. Remember this one? This is Peter. Peter denies the Lord. Peter says, I don't even know this guy. Uh, I have nothing to do with them. And then later on, he's restored. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? It's restoration. Three critical restoration questions. And then Peter gets restored. Peter gets grace. And then in Acts chapter 2, he preaches this famous sermon. And he's able to call it for what it is. And he says, You guys crucified Jesus. And he tells the story. And they go, We've messed up. What are we going to do? And he says, You need to repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow, okay. What if the Jesus story became our story? What if that happened? What if the Holy Spirit, for those of us here who are born again, God is trying to tell the story of his son in us and through us. What would it look like? Well, for one, we make a commitment. I will be about my father's house. I will make the business of Jesus my business. Do you get it? I'm going to make the business of Jesus my business, which means children are a priority. Which means there's a kind of illogic in some of the people we go after. It means we're going to learn to get along with each other. We're going to be people who have mastered the skill of forgiveness. And when we do that, we have the esteem of Christ. We're not tripped up in our own esteem. We're not always getting our feelings hurt. The stuff of Jesus, his business, becomes our business, okay? All right, so I love First John. Um, this is to me one of the most amazing texts. It says in verse 17, by this the love is completed or perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, we also are in this world. As he is, we also are in this world. Do you guys get your mind around that one? As he is, so are we. Meaning when you walk into the room, it's as though Jesus is with you and in you. You bring the same kingdom of God with you when you walk in the room that Jesus did? The answer is yes. Didn't Jesus say you're the light of the world? Didn't he say you're the salt of the earth? Okay, as he is, we also are in this world. Okay, all right. Wow, this is Christ esteemed. You are the gifted body of Christ. If you've been born again, the Spirit's inside of you, okay? When you speak, you should speak in a way that honors Scripture. You should speak in such a way that's gonna honor the Holy Spirit. And speak as though Jesus is speaking through you. What's gotta happen for us to get out of the dark and get into the light to move out of silence and shame and not be ashamed of the gospel and start talking about the Jesus story in simple, tangible ways I'm not asking you to be odd for God and be an evangelist and go down to the outlets of Little Rock and start screaming that's not what this is about this is about throwing a party a Zacchaeus party this is about doing the stuff. The business of Jesus is our business, and His story is becoming our story, so that we really are the light of the world. Remember that song, tremendous theology. This little light of mine. Remember that whole thing. Okay, you don't put it under a bus- you know under the bed, on the bushel basket. How do we get our light on the lampstand? Is what this really means. Now you're the church. Counsel, advice, questions on how we're going to do this and what the Spirit is saying so that we are not ashamed of the gospel. Is anybody online, Michael? Let me know if there's a question on Facebook or anything. All right, you're the church. What is God saying to you through you?
2: Yeah. Good, it's that, good. That I I'm not of this world originally because this is my father. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, it made me think about like the different places we were talking about, like predestination. Mm-hmm. And then also it's interesting to me in the in the parable of the wheat and the, the tares and the wheat, yes, that he's saying that the garden was planted first and then the enemy came in and so the tares. Yes. Which is interesting think about the, the evangelism of the gospel of Jesus, you've got a bunch of people that are already living in the world, and then Jesus is being preached, and those people are being converted. So it almost seems like it's flipped on its head, because how is it that the terrorists were there first? Yeah. You see? Yeah. But, but I think what that's getting at is the fact that he was already that's good, Nathan. And, and so when it says, as he is, we are also in this world, it's like saying, we were also already in the Father.
0: That's good, Nathan. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Someone else? Question or, or counsel on how we live out our calling to become like Jesus. Fact at the Church of Antioch, it's the first time in recorded history that Christian uh, that the, the word Christians are used to describe the followers of Jesus out of Antioch. Yep. Anybody else? Nice yeah. Yes, Lisa. And when we do, we're living out the story. We're living out the gospel, incarnating the gospel. That's so good. Thank you. Somebody else?
1: Anybody? Not obsession, necessarily. Yeah. yeah. The idea of our faith should be as a result of something else. Yeah. So if I believe as a Christian that God first loved me, like Paul, there should be an overwhelming sense of because of that I do this, as opposed to a paracidical approach, which is the law says this, so I have to do that. Yes, yeah. And character just who we have become because of who you in Christ. And yeah. all even hints at that when he talks about you were this but you are this now. Yeah. And a lot yeah. Of times I
0: think we tend to cling back into the word of doing all That's so good Patrick it gets to that root idea do I want someone to love me because they have to or because they want to, you know? Do we do we commit to the stuff of Jesus because we want to or because we have to eat? the Lord and the way that He deals with us because He knows we cannot. Yes. And so He provides everything we need if we just believe yes. to do what He has asked us to do. Yeah, and that's, His business is going to be our business. We're going to be about the stuff of our Father. Yeah, And that's Romans 5, 1-5. to 5, Beautiful, thank you. Anybody else on why this matters? Yeah, Sloan. I, I love the
1: word loving kindness. I, I love to see all your grief standing yeah,
2: about yeah. that word.
1: That word is just so. It's just such a strong word, and you think about when we, as humans, think about love. You know, the
2: greatest love when you're the day you're married, the day your children are born, you feel so. But
1: our love is so weak compared yes. to His love. His love is so
0: mighty, it's so everlasting. Yes. So yes. Weird. Yeah. The psalmist tries to get a measure on it and says it's as high as the heavens. Yeah, as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his, his loving kindness for us, Thank you. And you know, Sloan, with that kind of love, we can talk about it, huh? Yeah. yeah. We, we humans have a tendency to get around to talking about what's most important to us, right? And if Cheetos are an extremely important part of your life, Maybe a few minutes, you're going to eventually say, by the way, can I tell you about some Cheetos I know? They're really, really special. OK, silly, isn't it? Silly talking about Cheetos. Who would do that? What about Boston Red Sox? Absolutely the greatest baseball team of all time. And I mean, it's unquestioned. And uh, there are some Cubs fans here, but they're struggling. They're struggling. You know, they're, You know, what if we get around to talking about what's most important to us? Politics? You know, when some people, when they're tied to the right, ready to fight, or they're tied to the left, and I don't know what rhymes with that, but they're on the left, and they think they're the best. How's that, you know? A few seconds, they're going to be bringing it up. Okay, Isn't that something? We manage to get around to talking about what's most important to us. We throw our time at it. We throw our talk at it. We throw our money at it. If we have the esteem of Jesus, and the business of Jesus is our business, and we're gonna be about the stuff of our father, then his story has to become our story. And we can't be ashamed. We can't find more grace, more peace, more anointing, more power talking about the Boston Red Sox, where this president is the greatest president in the history of the world, and this is the worst president in the history of the world, and be quick to, to go to those things and never, never talk about, I want to tell you what Jesus has done for me. I can't explain it because I, I'm not that smart, but all I know is I was blind and now I see, period, end of story. Sometimes that's all it takes of oh, grace.
2: me from this blood. So to me, it's about being out of our comfort zone. Yeah. Because yeah. if we resist it, then as more self, yeah. the guy's trying to take us a different direction. Yeah. So I think being part of our story is becoming his story and the mission of being out of our comfort zone. Yeah. And yeah. I think we kind of gravitate this way naturally because we have our personal dislikes.
0: Yeah, that's good, great. By the way, I'm not asking anybody to get the placard on the front and back and say, hell is hot, the end is near, and go <laughs> walking around, you know, out with the of blue rock, screaming, you all are a bunch of sinners and you're going to die in hell and repent for the hours. Running. I'm not asking you to do that. I don't want you to be odd for God or anything like that. How about this? What if you had somebody out for coffee and you, and you ask them, hey, you know what? We've been hanging out for a while. i got a question. What's the most important thing in your life? And they say, oh, well, it's the grandkids. And it's, and it's this and that. And, and you're chatting it up for a little bit. And then they go, how about you? Come on. Come on. That's not hard. You don't go to seminary for that. Okay. Please don't go to Senator for that. Yes, David.
2: If I might do a shameless plug for Wednesdays with James speaking about how a Christian life is. Yeah. Faithful hey, so life- that works. Yeah. I mean that works by like it says works by itself or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But works come from the faith that you have in yeah. Christ. Yeah. And the the wisdom that you're yeah. given is the controlling of your mouth, which is the biggest problem. Yes, yes. And just, just being like Christ in that way. Yeah. yeah. That's where the works come in. And then a lot of people get that screwed up. And yes. They think, and they think that's what Jesus' story was. He just goes around and did this. It's like, no, that's not what he did. Yeah. The reason yeah. why
0: he did it. Yeah. Yeah, David, that's so good. Okay. Let's do this. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is so beautiful. Um, I have a hunch that the Holy Spirit has already brought a face <laughs> across this, your mind, you know, a name of somebody you need to talk to. You need to take them out to dinner. You, I don't know, do something. Uh, pick them up, go get coffee. There's just somebody that needs to hear your story of faith, okay? I want to challenge you this week to do it. Do it. Let's not be those fast foody kind of Christians. You get your quick fix, 10 o'clock Sunday morning, out the door and you have already have no idea what was taught an hour ago. <clears throat> and you blindly forget everything. Don't, let's not be those, those people, the man, the woman that walks away from the mirror and forgot what they looked at. Let's make the business of Jesus our business. One per, just one person this week. Tell them your story about how Jesus has changed your life. That's all. That's all. Real simple. Nothing fancy, nothing hard. Just say, hey, here's what's going on with me. I've been battling depression for years and I can't crawl out of that hole. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Or I've been stuck in a bad marriage and, and feel like my soul is drying. It's like a desert inside my soul. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Or I've topped out at work and no matter how hard I work, it's the same pay. I have no way forward. And I'm stuck. This is what Jesus is doing in my life. Pick. It doesn't matter what your story is. Just share what God is doing in you. And the Lord will use that. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. And you are now about the stuff of Jesus, and that's awesome. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is the gospel. So I'm so grateful. I want to pray, and that's God's favor. Lord, I love you, and I thank you. And I beg your blessings on us right now. Um, thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Thank you for making me newborn again. I pray the same for everybody here, and that we'll be not, we will not be ashamed of the gospel, we'll not be ashamed of the story of Jesus. And the stuff of your kingdom is going to be what we're all about. But we love you, and we thank you for this gift of Christ's team now.